0: Jordan, from Seattle, Washington. Here we go. Good morning everybody and welcome to another edition of the Plowline podcast. We are glad to be here. I'm your host Jeremy Tanell with my co-host Jerry e. Ballarosa tennell
1: Good morning everyone. Welcome. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. First thing that I'd like to do is acknowledge the land that we are on. We are on the land of the uh, Snohomish tribe. So we raise our hands. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. But I'm excited because this morning we are with Floor Larson. And uh, Floor, I want you to introduce yourself. Okay. And When when did we meet? <laughs>
2: we met when you first started um organizing over facebook is how we met
1: oh okay for the
2: power of women's power of Women summit and i was like hey should i do you want a workshop on white women and women of color organizing together and then we did a zoom call yes and that's and we didn't meet in person for quite a while
1: yeah That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. I remember the first time when I did meet you and when you reached out and you're like, hey, you want to like talk about, you know, have somebody talk about white women and everything. I was like, holy shit, is this for real? For real. (laughs) (laughs) And then then I checked you out and everything, you know, because that's what we do, right? It's like we check each other out. Yeah. And I checked you out. I was like, oh, wow, she's legit. (laughs) She's freaking. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be friends. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Let's be friends. Great. Yeah. So yes, introduce yourself, girl.
2: Yeah, great. I'm Fleur Larson. Um, I grew up here in Seattle. Grew up in Queen Anne and Ballard, Um, and that's a significant piece around uh, how I understand the work that I do now. So I grew up here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, The work that I do now is explicitly around racial equity, but not exclusively. Um, I come from being a facilitator. I've been a facilitator for a long time. I went to Evergreen. My undergrad was in experiential ed and liberation-based counseling. It's Evergreen, you know. Yep. 22 is like this is what I'm doing love it love it um But what that looks like now is is experiential was, is very like how my style and facilitation. So I want things to be real, very lived, very like acknowledging the actual feelings and power dynamics in the room rather than kind of a lecture based facilitation. So that's what I bring with me. And honestly, you know, I've worked with teenagers and toddlers and adults are just better at pretending they're paying attention. Huh. So I'm like, I got you. <laughs> like We don't need to pretend. And so I work with a lot of different folks across sector. Um, I work with um, my small scrappy nonprofits that are really doing a lot of social justice and anti-racism work or my tech folks or um, large foundations that are doing diversity, equity, inclusion, excuse me and um, schools that are doing social emotional learning culturally responsive classrooms and one thing I find is that language like what people call it the you know there's a lot of lingo going around around the legacy thing of whatever we're calling the, the what that we're doing mm-hmm. and um, I'm clear that at the heart of my work and work with how humans connect to other humans in the context of power and privilege and so holding that central. Um, specifically, I end up working with a lot of white ladies because we're everywhere, like weeds popping up all <laughs> over the place. We're, we're everywhere, literally. Um, particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, and a little bit has to do with the, you know, how the state became a statehood in our laws and it being a white, specifically set up to be a white um, nation state, both Oregon and Washington. And then also looking at the service sectors, so nonprofit and education and nursing or healthcare of mostly white women Mm -hmm. in those positions. And so I came to this work from my own lived experience, having worked with young people. Um, Most of my professional time was working with youth and preschool to college age youth in all sorts of different settings, from wilderness therapy to uh, foster care, Catholic community services, to um, girls' middle school was the last jobby job I had at Seattle Girls School. They have an explicitly anti-bias curriculum. Phenomenal school. Um, And I really had to look at my own kind of relationship to why i wanted to work with young people i used to say i love working with teenagers they're so angry and they just say whatever the fuck they want and it's like hmm whose anger issues was i really wanting to work on right like my own and like i wanted permission to say whatever the fuck i want right having grown up in a very waspy like aspiring to be middle-class culture what i got taught to be a good girl and a nice girl was meant you know like be quiet be polite be share share your toys share everything share your Yourself, don't be yourself. Don't have a don't have a self. <laughs> give it, just, it all away. Give it all away. Yeah. yeah. Which then led to like martyrdom. Yeah. In my work and um one big piece that happened that I was like, what is going on here? So I my my last job at Seattle Girls School I was paid thirty four thousand dollars a year to work you know full time pro- program director job in the city of Seattle like eight maybe 10 years ago Um, and so me being willing to be underpaid because I love the work Right, <laughs> and so that piece of how my martyrdom was actually undermining equity, bringing the bar down for other, like specifically women of color. Mm. When we know what the pay scale, mm-hmm. so if I'm willing to be underpaid because I love the work, in air quotes, then I'm actually doing a disservice to my my sisters of color and sure. their their job salary. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. was a lot about like my own personal kind of journey and understanding of the work, um, the work that I do now, and how I got here. So use my own. Um, mistakes my own learning to like really be honest about this stuff and i'm still making you know tons of mistakes all the time um which has been a key piece of like being um again the pacific northwest passive aggressive communication norms like this cultural place and our waspy norms um are really how i've been connecting my personal growth of this work where I've gotten to grow as a human as I aim myself at racial equity. I've gotten to look at my relationship to making mistakes and not feeling like I have to have it all together and be perfect and pretend. A lot of saving face in this region
3: yeah.
2: um, where we don't name things explicitly. And so if you were the one that named something explicitly, you're the problem rather than the content. Right,
1: right.
2: So those are a bunch of meandering thoughts of like how. I you know where I come from and how I come to this work. She's and. such
1: a fucking badass, right?
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm
1: telling you. I mean, it's like
2: you must piss off a lot of white women. So, um, what I know about white women is well, it's it's great timing that it's the 30th anniversary of the movie Heather's.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: and that's essentially like the the virus right the heather virus yes, so yeah. yes yes my dirty little secret is when i'm annoyed with some people in my trainings in my head i call them heather <laughs> oh she's a heather or i'll, I'll be like heather I mean, i'm sorry i mean sarah and i do it <laughs> for myself awesome
0: awesome
2: because it's just you sometimes you gotta be like oh my god you just said that you know yeah <laughs> it's like how to self keep keep, keep going that um is awesome but the piece of like standing at the intersection of being targeted by sexism being mm-hmm. the recipient mm-hmm. of sexism but then also perpetrating internalized sexism yeah the yeah. way women are socialized to be with each other is pretty vicious mm-hmm. right i mean i right. worked at a girls middle school where all we did was think about how female girl aggression is being played out you can't teach math if Sarah and Heather are like throwing visual darts at each other, like right. you just, right. you know, how do you right. navigate the realities of what's happening in middle school for girls and actually have them have their minds and you know their voice and, and being in charge of their learning? And what's true is that I see now is looking at how is the inner twelve-year-old still running the show for a lot of adult women. Mm-hmm and the way we are undermining each other, and then you overlay with racism and how white, white privilege is, is kind of like a double wave coming together mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And So, standing at the intersection of um, racism or uh, sexism and being targeted by sexism and then white having white privilege. And so that tension and, and, and being accountable for it, and so the trainings I do now with white women are called Power With, Not Power Over, Accountability and Action for White Women. Um, And we have to like peel those two things apart and Mm -hmm. usually people can't learn or be accountable for their privilege when they are still hurting from where they have been targeted by oppression. Sure. So we spend the morning on how have you been, how has sexism impacted your life? Um, And then generationally that looks really different, so I'll ask people to sit in different decade groups, so like 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, because it looks really different for a 20 year old to answer the question, how has sexism impacted your life? Than a 50 year old woman, for instance. Yeah. Um, And then we spend the afternoon on how to be accountable for our our white privilege. Okay. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Um, So it's like this little, you know, when you like want to lead someone on a journey and we know where we're going to go, but we plant seeds so that they think it's like a brand new idea or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> this is what I mean by like toddlers teenagers adults it's all like the same strategy <laughs> okay <laughs> trying to like outsmart our own selves yeah so yeah, yeah. when I ask the question around you know um, how sex has impacted your life and then I ask people to what's a request you want to make of a man in your life like for realsies and usually you know it gets kind of emotional because it veers into the personal so quickly um, I want them to listen to me believe me when I tell you that this is happening I you know do your own homework go talk to other Men and then guess what? Those are the same things that our sisters of color are are asking us to do.
3: Sure.
2: So then it's like really felt and really lived. Like, oh, the thing I want is being asked of me as well. And so the kind of the empathy there to like live into that, and that oh right, when I when I'm being told I'm showing up in a way that is harmful. I get to look at my own defensiveness, and oh, they're just asking me to listen. They're asking me to not discount them in the same way I'm asking men to do that for me. Mm-hmm. And so that bridge is really um, people get it. It's yeah. like really clear then, and it's not you know, it's not you know, you attack on your character or your goodness. And I think so much of this goes to like when I'm being held accountable for my whiteness or, or my privilege. Are you? Do you think I'm a bad human? Like, do you think I'm not uh, okay? Like really goes to like core purpose and and connection so quickly, and so usually people need to like feel a sense of connection before they can actually hear something.
0: I think that yeah. uh, that that emotional reaction. Do you think I'm a bad person for thinking this, feeling this, or not thinking this, not feeling this, but um, but also not not looking at it, ignoring it? Like uh, um, I th- I think that's the emotion that um, that so many people um, of European descent are trying to avoid by not having this conversation <laughs> by not engaging in this conversation um, you know is uh, is they they don't want to be faced with the question of am I a bad person <laughs> you know am I a bad person for um, and the answer to that question is no right you know but um, but it seems like that's the door people have to walk through um, in order to in order to move down this path,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Especially right now, <clears throat> excuse me, we're in such polarized times where you're you know you're either good, you're bad, you're red, you're blue, you're mm-hmm. for me, you're against me. Everything's super hyper polarized, yes, and is. holding nuance and gradation is is really the emotional intelligence skills that's needed around. Um, holding nuance and, and understanding that everyone has bias, as opposed mm-hmm. to I'm a good person, ergo, I must not have bias. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love straight up neuroscience for that. You know, thank you, neuroplasticity. Like we can unlearn and relearn and, you know, we have feelings about that process. Um but that thing of just normalizing it, right, mm. especially in the Pacific Northwest where, like, I drive a Subaru, I remember my cloth bag for PCC, and <laughs> I'm a good person.
0: <laughs> I would have said Prius.
2: <clears throat> Prius, right? Yeah. For, yeah.
0: yeah. Do, what kind of car do you drive? Um,
2: I drive a Subaru. <laughs> okay. All right. And I have my cloth bags in the yeah.
0: car. it's either a Subaru or a Prius. You know?
2: <laughs> I've only driven Subarus my whole life.
0: Yeah, yeah. we, yeah. we kind of make fun of, of it a little bit. Actually, we didn't post a podcast um, specifically because we ended up spending about 45 minutes just kind of trashing
2: Seattle. <laughs> oh, my God. It's one of my favorite topics. You ever. know,
0: like, yeah. oh, look, Black Lives Matter.
2: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no,
0: white not. ladies gardening.
2: <laughs> I- Yoga pants oh, in nice. Redmond. <laughs> oh. yes, yes. I love your Uggs. I know. All of it. All of it. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yep.
1: That is so funny. But, you know, like you were talking about that, uh, we all have our biases we all have our assumptions and i think for um you know you, you also talk about how we all have to do our own work you know it's like women and men have to do their own work and people of color and people of european descent we all have to do our own work I think when we're able to take that personal accountability to how we want to exist and navigate in the world by doing our own work, then when we can come together, we have a a greater idea of what the future looks like when we can come and have conversations that can tear us apart. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like um one of the things that I point out when I'm doing my Racial equity, diversity work, is talking about the uh, colonizer and the colonized, mm-hmm. and ever since uh, Black Panther, right? You hear it all over. Oh, not today, colonizer, <laughs> not today, and I love it. You know, I mean, I love, I, I love that line because it puts me in a very specific group where I feel, I feel powerful, I feel superior. And I can see on how just that feeling of superiority can, um, the the adrenaline and the cortisol can fill us up so quickly that it's a high that we want to maintain mm-hmm. all the time. And so, no matter where we come from, whether whether we're you know I mean with the men or with women in power, that feeling of superiority can also be poison. Mm. It can be poison where we no longer see everybody else as the same. And so it's like I think when we're able to check ourselves and do our own working, you know, I know I've I've done some things where I've got a when I talk about aloha, when I talk about grace, and I'm not able to extend that same kind of aloha because I have murderous intent in my brain.
2: <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) it plays a lot on the psyche yeah it plays a lot on the psyche and so throwing those daggers you know like what did you say heather and sue Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) throwing Mm -hmm. those daggers at each Mm -hmm. other it's a it's um yeah it's a it's a it's a very uh uh ambiguous place to be
2: yeah absolutely one thing i'm noticing right now is just when I come in with to work with clients, there's only so much I can do as as you know um, a consultant or someone to. I'm clear that I'm not like gonna whip up some magic and make someone <laughs> someone's co- you know clients and their colleagues all work well together. Right. I'm clear on the limitations, and um, in particular, if if folks are coming in packing the punch or you know with our whole lives of experience mm-hmm. um and the just how much is needed outside of the workplace how much healing is actually needed for us to do before we show up yeah. at work together yeah. and you know I I'm upfront about my own therapy and counseling and meditation and just that that is how I'm accountable I, I take care of myself so that I can show yes. up really fortified yeah. yeah, and able to field a lot and handle a lot or hold space for stuff or be clear on what we're not going to mm-hmm. do, you know, either way. Mm-hmm. And and then I've found, because I'm newer in having my business, it's been like three years, and this past winter, I actually kind of found a limit of what I was able to hold and handle and i had like three white caucuses in a week for different clients and mm-hmm. they'll remain nameless i'll give them a little <laughs> bit of anonymity although i am clear that like we're only as sick as our secrets yeah. borrowing that from 12-step didn't make that up but that that being upfront about we're all making mistakes is important as opposed to like the pretending and the pretense that we got it all together so um i kind of dance a little bit of a line around confidentiality with my clients i don't promise 100 percent confidentiality because that just maintains
3: perpetuates yeah Mm -hmm. all
2: the stuff Mm -hmm. that (laughs) somebody else is bad over there but we're good and that's just again not true Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, but i had like three white caucuses in a week and i was like oh this was um too much because i actually couldn't hold it and i I, I felt I was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Not the oh let me be vulnerable as a teachable moment, right? But the oh I actually couldn't feel their their whiteness, their white supremacy that was being aimed at each other
3: yeah. and
2: at me and I I felt like I was like I'm not fortified I'm not bolstered up right now I am tired and I'm sad or I'm triggered or I'm I want them to like me and they're not liking me like when I'm in that space where I want to be liked like that's my inner 12 year old where I'm not like my secure confident connected grounded self yeah right and that's where I was like oh whoops this was there's my limit that's yeah. my limit. Now I need to make sure I go take care of myself. So that and a don't set that up again in a week. Right, sure. like my learning. and <laughs> yeah,
0: don't do that again.
2: Don't do that again. And I have one client where I'm. I don't think I'm going to work with them anymore because they're just so mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's not they're fun. So is it? They're
2: so mean. They're mm-hmm. so mean. The white ladies are just. I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to work with them anymore. I wonder if they can even see their own mean well they probably can i mean i don't think mean people
1: can see that they're mean just like hurt people hurt, right.
2: hurt people right because well, they, they don't see their hurt they definitely have a justification for it yes yeah. their, their gossip their triangulation their undermining is um turned they they it manifests as like professional critiques mm-hmm. right right you know they use really fancy analysis and language to actually just be mean tear,
0: tear each other down yeah yeah yeah, without without any sort of constructiveness to it or mm-hmm. building up. One of the concepts in the colonized mind uh, that we talk about is the idea that we're actually all colonized, um, and colonization is like a virus. The colonized become colonizers. Um, for for you and I, um, you know, people of European descent and of Northern European descent. Um, do you have any other um, ancestry other than Norwegian? Yes, German. You do. Okay. <laughs> So um, you know, and for me, it's uh, um, it's uh, Gaelic um, and um, um, and uh, Celtic um, as well as Nordic, and so um, these are people that were colonized two thousand years ago, right by um, by Caesar's movement into Northern Europe and and a vicious colonization, um, and in turn, these people have become colonizers. Um, and this behavior, you know, um, I think, I really do think that that um, what we call whiteness and what we call white supremacy, um, uh, colonization is a beautiful, colonizer is a great word for it mm-hmm. um, because that's colonized, colonizer behavior,
3: right? Right?
0: You know, tear each other down. Um, and and the problem with it is that I, I think it does two things. One, I think, and I'm, I'm not saying this as a praise, um, we would never be in the situation um, or the um, advancement as a, as a human species that we are in if it wasn't for colonization. Um, we have colonized our way into almost 8 billion people on this planet, the ability to at least moderately sustain 8 billion people, um, the science and technology that we're dealing with. In order to do that, we've had to colonize the planet, which means that we've torn into it, we've burned it, we've ripped it apart, Um, we've had to colonize each other. um, And so this behavior in the workplace um, is just a, it's a mirror of that, right? It's Mm -hmm. a, you know, it's a, um, yes, it is self-destructive, but it's self-destructive in a pyramidal climbing to the top sort Mm -hmm. of way. And we Mm -hmm. just keep climbing and climbing and climbing, I think probably until the foundation just probably collapses
2: yeah it's an interesting question of like what you know people all the time are like well what are the measurable outcomes (laughs) right like what are the deliverables like what do we how do we know we've got there like what and you know i i'm happy to like have deliverables or things like that but or and this piece of like we actually don't know what we're aiming ourselves at we're aiming a fuzzy notion of liberation is it just the absence of oppression Mm. maybe we don't we actually don't know no one's experienced a liberated world yeah um, to your point, there's been, this has been a long time in the coming. and If we even just ground it here on U.S. Nation and, and just really looking at, it took hundreds of years for us to get here. It might take a little while to un- unlearn and heal from all the impacts of, that's happened to everybody in, around internalized racial superiority and internalized racial inferiority. And, um, and it's going to probably be more creative than our minds could even, our colonized minds could even conceive of. Certainly. And I think that that I don't know that that to me is a little bit like hopeful, and that like wow, there's something that I actually don't even know my mind could actually understand. Yeah, that we're aiming for, and um, that's
0: a great concept.
2: I'm I'm it's like cosmically exciting to me, and a little bit massively overwhelming.
3: Sure, as well.
2: Um, It also helps with like when clients are like, "What are the deliverables?" I'm like, "Yo, your mind can't even conceive of them." (laughs)
0: Boom. Yeah.
2: I just kind of called you stupid, but like in a really <laughs> yeah, nice super awesome way. way.
0: Like in an enlightened
2: way? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that's it, right? Like, I mean, you know, I, I do think the answers are out there. Um, I, you know, I mean, we've been around a long time, um, you know, and one of them is probably not holding on to outcomes. Yeah. Right. So what are the deliverables? Well, that's not the question. Right. That very question is 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 moving you in a direction that's not going to get you where you need to be. Mm -hmm. Don't hold on to outcomes. Right. Um, You know, um, um, enlightenment is the absence of pain. Right. Um that's not maybe the, you know I don't know because actually that's life what the Buddha is says.
2: suffering, right? Like we suffer as humans and I mean so suffering and oppression, those are not mm-hmm. synonymous. Yes. So like, yeah. right, anyway, right. we're going somewhere that I'm like, I don't know, I'm just saying big words right now. Like, that's fine. <laughs> this is I'm just like, whoa, right, this is big stuff. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean it's like um <clears throat> not the outcomes. You know, I think I think we we hold we hold on to outcomes so tightly that we don't know how to be fluid we don't know how to adapt to change Mm -hmm. that when things come about we break that's where i feel the fragility comes in and we talk a lot about white fragility but i feel that we are all fragile in some certain way that when when we're um presented with something new that goes against everything that we've believed right that cognitive dissonance that sets in that it takes a minute for us to be like wait a minute hold on is this not going to kill me (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. is this going to kill me um am i going to lose anything from all of this and so it's like that rigidity is pretty much like survival as well too when I feel that if we can just be fluid, uh, probably trust, just like how we know that when there's winter, spring's coming, mm-hmm. and summer's gonna happen, and fall will happen, and the sun will rise and it will set. And when we're connected to that part, I feel that I think everything else will be able to maybe learn from nature. I feel that's why it's so important that, you know, I always connect to the land. And the environment, and to everything else around me, because that's our teachers. Yeah. That's who we should be following. I mean, it's like it's very resilient. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's the reason why we've turned our <laughs> at this point almost our entire yard into garden space. We actually don't eat anything out of that garden. <laughs> I, I mean lettuce maybe tomatoes,
1: tomatoes. You know, yep.
0: but um, you know, so much of it is um, is an analogy for. Um, you know, so we'll we'll be planting here in the next couple, uh, well, in the next week or two. And and we will na- then have this, because uh, we've been doing it for a while, we'll then have this on this long conversation over the season of summer and fall about, you know, the analogy of what that means.
1: Yeah, Mike, our garden is a metaphor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do gardening
2: too, right? Mm-hmm. Do you see it as very therapeutic? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what do you like to grow? Um... Uh, tomatoes and kale mm-hmm. and basil and then um my favorite flowers are peonies and i just planted some bulbs so they won't bloom until next year so this is the first time i'm ever doing that and i love cosmos and love them Ooh. yeah so i go back and forth between well i just now moved into a place that i bought so i own a, oh, so nice. it's a different relationship than I'm renting and yeah. you yes, know putting hundreds of dollars into the soil rental soil so um it's i'm in a new relationship to the space that i'm I'm stewarding yeah now mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah and you know something you were just saying that I was thinking about was around um, as you know the more privileges we're socialized with we tend to have l- less of a connection to earth and or each other yeah you know relationship and because everything you just said I'm like some of this these are just core human things and the and then s- that humans are fragile or whatever you know have right, have right. um have feelings and yes. can get feel hurt and and yep. and are needing more skills and, and love and healing yep. around it, and the folks with more privilege part of the socialization of privilege, um is that dis- is not having access to that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean that's partly how the hurt gets in there, right? Um, You know, I used to work with young ones, um, really little ones, in in a therapeutic setting. And it's so clear that, like, little ones are infinitely curious about any other little one. And and then we get taught some bad information about how to treat each other. And the subtleties of that, you know, of what really um, one way I've found it to be useful to get at bias and you know, implicit bias, because you're like, great, my mind is thinking things I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know, like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, right. I understand that as a concept, <laughs> right, neuroscience, right. but like, what do you, how do you manage for that? And again, how's here in the Pacific Northwest, because I grew up here, and this is my story here, that just naming something is pretty darn powerful. Mm. Um, and a way to get at biases, for me, has been useful to go back and look, what was I taught early about yep. how to be a human? how to treat other humans, what was I taught as polite, uh-huh. um, and, and identifying and naming that a lot of those things were super waspy mm-hmm. norms for uh-huh. what's polite, yeah. and then the superiority of that and anything other than that is is wrong. Right. You know that if, um, and relationship to time, rules, what I got in trouble for, like all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, Tema Okun's work around white supremacy culture, the characteristics of, you know, perfectionism, sense of urgency, right to comfort, fear of open conflict, etc. All of that stuff, it's like, because I have been socialized, I think my normal is the normal. And it's not only the normal, but it's also right.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah. And that is where that, like, the white fragility comes in. Like, how dare Mm. you challenge? Because also, when I go really deep and personal with it, it's like, oh, well, I was taught these things because if I didn't do them, I didn't. I didn't get love. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we go to the youngest little ones, right? So you're just a little human and you're like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do so that I get love from these people that are, you know, loving caregivers who are giving me some fucked up messages. Right. So you're just going to do it. Right. And you just see, it's, your, our brains aren't fully developed, so we don't even remember all the memories, but surfacing that being like, what was I taught? You know, when I was in middle school, my dad didn't want to drive me to the central district to see my friend. Yeah, all I th- knew was, well, I want to go see my friend. But my adult mind can go back and be like, oh, that's why the message yeah. I got there is the central district is not okay; it's dangerous, mm-hmm. yeah. and I can't go there. Yes, you know, so all the, that, that's where I've found it to be really useful to go back and and partly doing my own healing work around that, and and because so much of it goes to therapy around like family of origin stuff.
1: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yep.
0: yep. absolutely. Would you mind defining um, uh, um, WASP?
2: Mm-hmm. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Um, can add in class in there, middle class. Mm-hmm. So just dominant U.S. norms are built on WASP norms. Yes. Um, really, origin from like New England, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, um, middle to upper class. Um, it's really like, you know, look at all the history of People Magazine, Sexiest People. It's like super white. Just everything, all of our norms around social, what to aspire to. You know, my mom, um, well, she fits that category. She's raised poor, and so she loved to go to Goodwill and find like name brands. Like that was a big score because her aspiration to be upwardly mobile and look the part and dress the part and find you know Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus or <laughs> you know the, the labels, but in Salvation Army. And so having my own story of of having lots of privilege around racial privilege and then class a different relationship to class. And very, I'm very clear. I'm raised working class. Currently, I have lots of class privilege, um, being upwardly mobile. My dad is a ship captain, or he just retired two years ago in Alaska, and so he totally had the like white working class job where he he made it after forty years, and you know was very very successful. And then um, he married a woman who I got a lot of inherited wealth from her very generous her dad, and so that's how I just bought a house, right? Yeah. Like to buy a house in Seattle is bonkers. Um, I mean, I'm doing well in my business, like, but not that well. Um, and that's why I went to grad school. I have no student debt, so I have a lot of class. Privilege privilege currently my my work ethic is definitely very working class like i'm clear i can turn a dollar tomorrow if i need to if i need to go (laughs) clean houses or get a waitressing job you know like if it all falls through yeah and um so i i mean i hold that but i also don't need that part of my story to take up a lot of space but i'm just you know just naming it i'm just clear on it um and i think that that's where again if you haven't done the healing work around where you've been targeted by oppression whatever kind then that Creeps up and takes up space, and you're not able to be accountable for it. You do have privilege.
0: Yes, yeah, especially when you live in it, you grew grew up in it. You know, I mean, that's very much my story as well. You know, um, uh, a lot of working class privilege. You know, my father has always been able to turn a dollar. You know, he's uh, on paper, he's been you know he's been wealthy several times and lost it, and wealthy and lost it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a uh, um, you know we went from uh, a very, um, when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11, um, you know, a very good upbringing in Alaska. My dad was a contractor. Mm-hmm. It was during the pipeline boom. Um, you know, he was building houses in Anchorage and then we went down and he bought a cattle ranch. So now we have 2,100 acres, we have 500 head of cattle. So now I've got this experience, you know, um, so, yeah, it. Uh, um, when you grow up in it and you live in it, um, it's really hard to see um, that as a privilege, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You just see it as a lifestyle.
2: Absolutely. A question I feel like that I'm asking myself and my folks I'm working with. You know, this piece of does the fish know it's wet? Mm-hmm. we're just swimming around in our normal especially as kids you're just like i don't know this is just what life is and then and that's where it's like not our fault as young ones whatever identities or privileges we grew up with but now as adults it is our responsibility to go back clean up oh, what me- fucked up messages did i get right. taught and unlearn it right. <laughs> right and then have some like identity crises and you know be like who yeah. am i on the planet and like all that stuff and kind of go around and around and you know being accountable is just like that's the win-win where i get to like clean up the stuff Mm-hmm. that's impacting all areas of my life. Right. And that, I think, is really important, especially for do-gooder white folks, especially for white women who are in service sectors who just want to do good and just want to help. Side note, that is the word I hear, and I started to listen for it. I just want to help? Help.
0: Yeah.
2: It's not contribute, support, collaborate, create. It's help.
0: That's an interesting... Con- that w- The really good...
2: Well, and it's, like, super loaded. Yes. That my value is based on how helpful I am.
0: Oh, that's interesting, too.
2: Which is essentially the Protestant work ethic that the more salvation I'm guaranteed is depend on how selfless I am. Like, that's literally the Protestant work ethic, which is pretty advantageous to capitalism. Sure. Oh, great. We're going to tell you you're not very worthy unless you work overtime for free for us. Yeah. Right. So then thank you, the labor movement. And then we're still having challenges around that now as well. But... I've like gone off of like five tangents, so we'll bring it back here in a minute. <laughs> just, no, no, no. That's You're great. good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm like, we're gonna circle back in a second, although I forgot half the <clears throat> tangents, but we'll come back eventually. <laughs> and I see that so much. And my first trainings I offered when I was just starting out was um called The Privilege to Work for Pennies, mm. How Martyrdom Undermines Equity. And part of it's my story. Why was I willing to work underpaid? and overqualified why was i willing to take a, a job that you know only making thirty four thousand dollars a year in seattle is pretty
3: tough Crazy. to live yeah. by right
2: mm-hmm. um but it's because i love the work yeah oh it's my passion so the martyrdom the selflessness and it's where i got my value seeing good being seen as good and getting lots of accolades for how good i am at it working overtime for free all the time because if i you know worked with young people if I worked an extra hour instead of going to yoga or whatever, you know, white lady thing I do to take care of myself, <laughs> right? Like I knew which which kid would benefit. I'm like, well Sarah is struggling and if I work an extra you know, so it pulled on my heartstrings. So I consider myself a recovering bleeding heart where my martyrdom was not serving me and it actually wasn't serving the people I was trying to hurt help. Because in my helping I actually did a lot of hurting. Yeah. And then, then you get into the economics of who can afford to do mission driven work. Right. And a whole bunch of white ladies' husbands are subsidizing their work, yes. especially here in Seattle, working at Starbucks, Microsoft, and Amazon. Of course, there's some flipped in there in terms right, of gender dynamics right. and who's the breadwinner. However, there's a lot. Yes, a lot of women have their husbands subsidizing their work. A lot of white women, and that just goes to the origins of the nonprofit sector, which was never meant to be a sector. It was just like a bunch of white ladies, upper class white ladies who couldn't vote, couldn't couldn't work and they wanted to have purpose and agency. And they're like, well, let me contribute. And so they worked with religious you know, organizations doing good works, the term mm-hmm. was good works. And it was never meant to be a whole sector, it's a volunteer situation. And so then we now have our current sector built on this kind of rickety beginning which is then gives you all the, you know, we have the stats that we have, or we have 80% of white folks on staff of nonprofits serving 60% people of color. Um, and there's just such a disconnect between the martyrdom and the wanting to help and that then is, actual effectiveness. That is
1: so interesting as you're talking about that. I'm actually like listening to everything that you're saying. And what's coming up for me is my own internalized oppression. You know, I mean, it's like um, here I just took the uh, position for director of equity for the Makateo School District. And there is part of me inside that is telling myself, I don't deserve that kind of money. Mm -hmm. Gosh, am I even qualified to do this kind of work? You know, and and these are internalized narratives that have been coming up for me in this past couple of weeks. In fact, even this morning, where I am questioning my worth. I'm questioning my worth, I'm questioning whether I'm good enough, and it's because society for so long has told me and has placed me in a place where, no, you don't make this kind of money, and this is who you are, and you know what? You probably got to do a little bit more work because you're not there yet. Prove it. Uh, you right. know more, yes. more to prove it to be qualified exactly absolutely exactly. the economic
2: undermining of what's been historically seen as women's work is i mean it's huge it's how capitalism and patriarchy right. work really well together right and of course that's fucked up yes because we're actually the yes. ones that keep our society like we wouldn't be here right if we didn't do this work exactly exactly and you know that's one of the things it's like i you know
1: i let people know that oh my goodness I'm like $185,000 plus
2: in student debt mm-hmm. because
0: <laughs> we actually don't know what the real number is.
2: <laughs> You're like, let's just not say two because that's
1: how right, exactly. too much for We actually our haven't mind. touched that. Yet. I, I, yeah. don't even wanna, I don't even want to go there yet. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like working to put these letters behind of my name so then that way I can have the equal access that everybody else who don't look like me has. And it is mind-boggling. It is crazy. It's crazy to be able to do that. But now I can see the power in all of that. And it has taken me a long damn time to get here. But I don't want the next generation that will have to do that. And then I think about, I'm complaining, right? Oh, I have all of this debt. And I have all of these scars on my back. And I pause and I'm like, wait, hold up. So did my ancestors. I am standing on their scars so now what am I gonna do about that and you know it's like I feel for myself it it um when I reflect you know you guys are you know you're talking about you know your background and where you guys came from and I'm thinking wow you went from Alaska and you got a ranch and all of this other kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, I remember progress for us was when my dad got a job as a police officer at Pearl Harbor. And we made too much money to live in the housing and the projects anymore. Wow. <laughs> so then we moved to another place where we rented for a little while. And kept moving because rent went up and my parents just couldn't afford it. And there was six of us kids. And I didn't think of myself as poor. I didn't think of myself as, um, you know, didn't have any kind of privilege because I was around family and family was so important. And until probably when I left um, to move to the mainland from Hawaii to LA, and I was telling someone where I lived and they're like, oh, you lived up in a housing, in a project where the poor people live. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? Mm-hmm. What? I was poor? And I'm like, wait, we were like tucked behind in the valley so then that way when the people came to Hawaii, all they saw was the beauty of it yeah. and not where we were living?
0: Literally right behind Waikiki.
1: Right behind Waikiki, pushed up in the back, but all of the people went down into Waikiki to work for all of these people that were coming into Hawaii. Right. I'm like, okay, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. And I have to sit with that. Right, I have to sit with that and I'm like, oh my gosh my brain's not ready to hold any of this information.
2: I think what's so interesting about that is it's relative, and we only know what we know. Yes. And when our world is small, for whatever reason, then that limits our ability to hold perspective. And like, so relative to what were you poor? Because actually, we know, in fact, you were like, you know, you named relationships and family. So when we talk about what's really wealth and monetary wealth has serious consequences, of course. So I think that's an interesting thing about relative to what? And and understanding that um, again, my normal may not be your normal,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and really just like getting clear on that more granularly on the daily, all day long. That there's so many. Um, um, Shankar Vidar the um, I'm say his name incorrectly on from hidden Brain has this great podcast I just oh, recently yeah. listened to on creativity and you know basically like having more people that are different than you around is good for your life. you mm-hmm. know it's like but he does it in this super eloquent and amazing way with lots of data and good story. Um, great podcast it's so good it's so 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 good the other one i recommend to folks is "Seen white by on scene mm. radio it's phenomenal especially for folks that need history and data and like i'm clear that that's not what i'm bringing i'm just i'm a big picture i'm like shit happened hello racism you know slavery duh that's why we're doing this you know like <laughs> <why> we <we're laughs> need more details than i'm not your <laughs> person <using. laughs> mm-hmm. um because that's just yeah um but anyway that's just so where my mind came up with was some what you were thinking you're saying right now
1: yeah,
0: it's interesting. Uh, would you ladies be interested in talking about sexism?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure,
2: I, w- I love talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so um, you know, I think we, you know, we live in a time in which we're working pretty hard to dismantle some things, right? You know, um, and I think one of the things that we're seeing is uh, is a, a very strong effort to try and dismantle. Um, uh, um, this masculine driven world, um, how do we, how do we participate in that? How do we do that? What do we, what do we need to do?
2: (laughs) You want to go ahead? (laughs) Sure. Take it. Um, well, I think, and I, this is one of the tangents that I didn't come back to before, but similar thing, like we have to be clear on what's in it for us, for any work on our own privilege. And so men need to know what their intrinsic motivation is rather than i just want to be a good guy and seen as a good, one of the good ones um and same thing with white folks who are like but i'm but i'm a good person it, you know we have to we can't just do it because um we want we want to be seen as good or it's our values we have to know or, or start to find our intrinsic connection like where i get that my humanity is wrapped up in it And I think that same thing for men around unlearning sexism and and figuring out stepping into allyship. What does it look like? Because the work's too just dang hard. It's too hard to just want to have good intention. It's just too hard. Um, Yesterday, the example I was thinking of before was it was there's the Future for Us Women of Color Assembly. 250 amazing women of color gathered in this space by um, a sage and a parna. And I was their their day of kind of producer holding the schedule uh-huh, and uh-huh. everything like that, and um, their on-site person for the facilities, the venue, lovely two very tall Nordic-looking white people. <laughs> they were like very tall and skinny. I was like, you guys are a part of a magazine. Okay. Um, that's probably part of their brand is to like look good and be part of all the waspy norms. Anyway, beauty beauty culture. The guy, lovely human, I won't name his name, but um, he part of his job. For being there at the venue, not only being a, a part of us or the providing for us, but was to take pictures to p- do their own social media. Mm-hmm. And so he, there was the wing, like the side of the stage, and there was curtains, and we were kind of like on deck, like you know, right behind there, getting speakers ready. And he stepped out, and he was need he in his mind later he shared with me, oh, I just needed to see where everybody's at so I could get the best angle to take a photo, but he was like partly on stage. And it was literally the actual manifestation of the white male gaze on the sea of women of color who were there gathered to be, you know, a sacred space for them. Yeah. To empower. I mean, part of it is the strength in numbers and the gathering Mm -hmm. together and that this is a women of color only space with a few white allies. And. So I just, I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, come with me over here just to pull him away. And um, I just, you know, this is a little awkward for me to share. But could could you just not be so prominent? Could you not? Because we don't want the white male gaze to impact their experience. Did he Mm -hmm. get that? He did. And he did all the things that we do when we're called on a mistake. Yeah. 'Cause he he is a good guy, but he he did the oh, I'm 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 so um I've been wanting this event to happen. Like he went into like how here's what a good person I am, shtick. Yes, and yeah. well here this is my job. So you know in all the pieces, and um, and I just let it hang, and I was like, totally, I get it. Well, let's let's figure out a win-win. How do you get the pictures you need? Like, how do we have this go well? Like, everybody can get their needs met right now. You can get pictures you need. I can like, get, like walk out there. You know, like we can get creative. Um, but he was dev- he felt bad and nervous and sure. apologetic and was defensive and tried to walk it back, and and then also dug in a little bit. And so then other people came over and um, they chatted about it. So that you know that was a moment of. I think that that's what's actually common with men is like they are just trying to be good humans and then they make these smaller things and I think the other thing that happens with Me Too campaign where we're like oh another one did that one guy did that bad thing and I'm like it's not like he's bad and all the other men are good like no men escape the socialization of sexism and not misogyny no. and so it's just gradations or how much do they let it show right right, right.
0: yeah right. well and I mean so much of that happened between two people right You know, I mean, it's not like uh, I, and I, that's one of the things I want to touch on both those, if you don't mind. Uh, That's one of the things that has definitely come up for me in the Me Too movement is an inventory, right? Like, okay, how did I handle some of these relationships and how did I handle some of these sexual encounters and, and did I, did I cross some lines here? And, and some of that I can't answer for myself, right? Like some of that, you know, some... The other person has to be able right. to be like you did yeah. cross a line, mm-hmm. and I suspect actually that there's a couple of occasions where I may have.
3: Sure.
0: Um, and um, and um, and that's that's something that that needs some work, right? That's something that needs to be thought about. The other thing is um, is um, maleness, white maleness in space. You know, in 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 these spaces. Um, Sometimes um, the best place for us to be, I don't know, the first instinct is to think, well, maybe the best place for me to be is not to be here at all. But I don't think that's the right answer.
2: So a phrase that um, my colleague uses a lot um, is, you know, step aside but not away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we I'm clear I need male allies. I need you to go work with your other dudes, you to mm-hmm. do that, you know, and um i mean i date men romantically so um i have lots of great male friends you know there's I um, And I'm hella pissed about sexism. So both right. are true. <laughs> and I do want to, like, you know, for some folks, they're like, I don't want it to educate you on your work. And for me, I'm like, oh, I've got a list of shit you need to work on. Let right. me tell you. <laughs> so if I've got a captive audience, I'm like, I'm good. I'll t- I'm, I've got energy for that. Yeah, <laughs> Awesome. And I think with sex, most of us got bad information about sex. Totally. Yeah. And to be naked with another human, most of us are not going to have our full minds fully present. You know, right. like, there's a... Right. whole body of work that like everyone just needs to stop and do therapy for like a couple (laughs) years on sex and bodies before we could even have a semblance of like healthy you know like just mass scale style yeah yes
1: yes i you know it's like I, i look at the i i feel there's part of me i mean i i'm the kind of person that always feels right i am just one of those empaths to just feel but when I hear about this, and plus I have um, sons, so I am a little biased and a, and a grandson, that I, I look at our society and I feel like we have been poisoning the minds and hearts of our men and boys for such a long time, you know, letting them, you know, telling them, you know, growing up and saying that, you know, uh, boys don't cry. And, you know, just that toxic masculinity that we it's like we place it on them (laughs) like this is who you are this is your cape right instead of like having it being a superpower we are just going to go ahead and have you embody this toxic masculinity because this is what maleness means Mm -hmm. and then we add on top the fact that this is what white male means and it's like oh you poor poor things. I don't know about
0: poor poor things. Men have work to do.
1: Oh men do. I'm just talking about the fact that you know I'm looking at Lyric, right? I'm looking yeah. at our our 10-year-old grandson and I'm thinking like, "Oh my goodness. How do we protect him? Mm-hmm. How do I we think, protect him yeah. from this kind What's of true stuff?" true
2: oppression hurts all of us. Yes. Whether absolutely. you're in the agent role and you have privilege, like it, right. it I something happened to my heart and mind to for me to then perpetuate. Mhm the privileges that i have and you know i think it really comes down to you know especially it's so much easier when we go to little ones because we can see it we're clear on their goodness right whoever they are and it's like oh my god they're so you know biology is real as well but you know we're and then you know historical trauma passed on by genes and i i don't know i also just go with what i can see right and so we can see in little ones and that all of us have healing to do yes and that's you know and then and then the you know how that plays out in terms of the daily interaction and right. you know that's where it gets a little bit more granular but like we everyone's been hurt by oppression
1: right yeah. absolutely and then acknowledging it and seeing it you know i look at my boys i'm like oh man i really fucked you up i hope i'm okay with the next generation
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i also think you know it's interesting um um we're continuing this process right you know with with the removal of all these taboos and um you know you you were were you a teenager in the 90s Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so you know that means uh, that means you know you you understood a world where the prevalence of pornography was, Mm -hmm. you know, was there right? There was not a prevalence of pornography, um, and there was a lot of taboo. um, And well, that's broken, you know. Like that's all that's all kind of gone, and we're dealing with uh, with generations that that now are are very exposed um, at a a young age. Mm -hmm. You know, statistics say eleven years old is uh, is the average. Um, you know, so, um, uh, there's, there is good in the removal of those taboos for sure. Those were damaging, right? They were certainly promoting, um, neg- you know, negative, um, masculinity as well as negative, um, femininity. Um, uh, but now we kind of have the pendulum has kind of swung the other way.
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i think it's that kind of reaction to um anything that's inhibiting right or victorian era yeah again waspy sort of like what's prim and proper and acceptable and so much of like whatever's been the dominant oppressive culture or norms is sort of saying don't be human yes don't have you know mental health oppression we could connect to that you know so it's a very narrow definition of what's sane, sane. and if you step out of line um you know just go all the way back to what you know women getting his hy- hysterectomies because they're seen as hysterical yes mm-hmm. i mean we just go back real far like that and just be like so what's the current version of that now um and when i think about you know dominant oppressive culture just makes basically has such a small definition for what's okay to be human yeah. and it hurts everyone in that way um and bringing it back to just really looking at the way sexism plays out um Especially in like social justice movements or in education, like folks, I'm seeing that woke white men are causing a lot of harm. Yes. And partly because there's that lack of humility around, but I'm one of the good ones. Mm -hmm. And that piece of, um, yeah, just, and, and then the way sexism props up white supremacy, where the white women are okay with that dynamic in service to staying like maintaining the safe relationship with this dance of sexism to also then keep the white whiteness and white culture at play it's a little bit mental gymnastics and i don't i don't i'm trying to be careful because it's we can just use a whole bunch of terms strung together to have like a nice sounding sentence but it's like really this dynamic and i'm seeing it a lot because when we look in education right like or or nonprofits principals or 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 people in positions of leadership when you get to a certain budget size are white men. Mm -hmm. And so we look at the economic component there as well. And what will, in particular, white women need to request of these white men? Which re- requires me to like be pretty bold and brave around facing sexism and being like, no, you have to, you need to like take care of your business there, um, in service to this bigger goal around racial equity explicitly. So that's uh, you know how I think about it more in the drop down specific, like what are we talking about on the daily? Um, I have a client right now where there's a crew of, of female leadership staff that are terrified of their their um, CEO and he um, they are doing all this work to manage his feelings about the racial equity work they're bringing me in to do. Wow whoa. Wow, wow. that's So my job really right now is actually just to work with them on on, on their stuff. Um, and you know whether or not he comes along or you know who knows right. Um, but they need to know their power. power with not power over requires the first part requires me to know my power yeah Mm -hmm. you know and also Mm -hmm. in being a doormat you know for me as a white person towards colleagues of color and for the men in my life i need you to like have a backbone yeah being an ally does not mean being a doormat or you know stepping all the way away like we need folks in to take care of things and you know stronger together and all that
1: how do you call how do you call those men
2: in to have these kind of conversations good question um I mean, with all of this, I think of it as trial and error. Like, just practice. Like, I got to hold it lightly like that. So, like, yesterday's example with... Um, he's a ginger. Ginger homie. <laughs> Someone called him a ginger, and he got a little t- a little sensitive about it. Oh. I know. I'm like, but, you I mean, you are. It's rad. Right. <laughs> Love yeah. it. I don't know. Like, it could be a good thing.
0: <laughs> I don't think ginger's an derogatory term. No. I, yeah. I think
2: he was just really fragile. Yeah. <laughs> I'd already been like, step back. You know?
0: Oh, so you did the step back and then somebody called him a yeah, ginger? Yeah. Oh. It like, only... <laughs> yeah, it was like
2: accumulated well, impact. Yeah, he's like, he doesn't have the emotional intelligence right. breadth of skill set yet. Yeah. Which is a great example of like, what's in it for him? Like, yeah. oh, look how much more I could handle right, right. if I got over myself. Got basically. some work to do. Yeah, and healed from all the times he was taunted for being called ginger, whatever. I don't sure, remember, right? I don't know the story, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> point um calling him in so practice like i've just gotta i just have to hold it lightly in practice and i was like oh i need here's the moment here's it is a real like not fancy moment where i need to like call this person change i need to change something because the cost if if i let it go was too great Mm -hmm. like i can really like this i was like oh this is clear i'm gonna feel a little funny he's gonna who knows what he's gonna do but the cost if i let it go like I i i will not be in integrity with myself right so then i got i just practice and I've, I've done it more gracefully than other times and um and i think about it in two ways what am i up for like what do i got in me and i gave the example of how when i had three white caucus groups in a row like i didn't have a lot right you know that's a time where i'm like Ooh, i don't have a huge reserve here so what am i up for and what what can the other person hear like i try to like you know and that's where it's each of our minds we come up with whatever we come up with and so so much of this is developing judgment and a key strategy is asking people like how do you grapple with this stuff in your own mind like i can give you a toolkit and some strategies and some tips but in the moment it's you
3: mm-hmm.
2: what do i got like what words can i come up with and what you know and it's and so that piece of like each person needs to really grapple in their own mind what do i think of this What what is racial equ- equity to me who like how do i seize, size up the moment and that you know people need practice right. yeah. practice a lot of practice and, yeah. and holding it lightly like i'm going to make mistakes right. as opposed to yeah. so many white folks especially white women around the perfectionism i just don't know what to say i don't want to make a mistake and i didn't know what to do so they're paralyzed you know they're kind of deer in headlights and so then silence or absence of showing up and um and that's also affecting all other parts of our lives, right? Like it's not in just those moments around allyship. It's like, well, where else am I holding myself small mm-hmm. and being quiet and mm-hmm. not being powerful? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I also think that the, that those the allyship doesn't necessarily happen in in showing up um, to participate in spaces where people of color are. It is um, it is holding the conversations in places where people of color aren't and um and uh from my own experience you know um, that's actually way harder right that's actually way harder than, you know like i i can have these conversations especially around these microphones Right. you know this is this is actually easy right safe. um but going into my workplace and uh and then you know uh and then engaging in that conversation challenging an idea because so often uh ideas around race and equity in um in white spaces um uh, especially in professional settings are just kind of said um as a moment of levity right Mm -hmm. like uh, you know like um oh you know here's a uh, you know here's a funny thing about you know or they
1: think it's black and brown people's problems Mm -hmm. to fix (laughs) sure sure could yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah i more often than not i think they just don't want to engage in the conversation
1: yeah how do you engage your friends
0: I, I wait, I, well, I, you know, I don't walk into those um, those spaces and be like, let's talk about mm-hmm. brown people, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, um, I kind of wait for an opportunity. Um, and usually it's when something gets kind of placed on the table, um, you know, um, there's, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not in spaces where there's overt um, racist or, or prejudiced comments being said. Um, I'm in spaces where, um, you know, probably the most challenging thing would be, um, you know, would be a conversation around, um, oh, you know, well, uh, we had a black president, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and and it kind of just, you know, it gets kind of laid out and moved on. And so if you're going to insert yourself into that conversation and try and hold that back and be like, no, 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 let's talk about that for a minute. You first, you got to be quick. Because we're do. moving on fast. You
2: gotta be ready. Yeah. You do have to be ready and like seize the moment. Because other but I think what you said that's so useful to focus on as a strategy is that there are these small little low stakes examples all the time. Yes. So there might not be overt things, although there's tons here in this region, but there's small little like slippery like hmm, what happened there? Right. And part of this is us trusting ourselves and connect the healing work to do that we do so that we can be like, oh, that feeling I had, trust it. That that's real, mm-hmm. there's something there. And then to have a strategy like, you know, come at folks head on and asking them to look directly at the sun doesn't really work, right? And so, this you know, question asking or just or pausing because things are moving fast, especially mm-hmm. in work. I mean, capitalism is like more, bigger, faster you know, there's no reason to slow down, right? And w- literally, slowing down is a revolutionary act, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so, that as a strategy is totally useful, it is, right.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, we need to wrap up. Um, so uh before we do, Fleur, how how can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? What's your social media? What do you want to get out?
2: Um, let's see, my website's Fleur Larson Facilitation. Um, if you've read Harry Potter, you know, there's a character in the books called Fleur de La Cure. It's made it easier (laughs) for me to introduce myself with some folks. Sure. (laughs) Um, and um I live in West Seattle and so I'm local I'm here. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to be connected to people and um if the, you, you can get in touch with me through my website if you want to and there's tons of resources i try to have lots of stuff on there all the books i'm reading and and things like that that are available there
1: you have any big things coming
2: up um two things well one we touched on it really briefly i'm going to norway in a week
1: that's gonna be awesome that's um to awesome. go to my
2: homeland and just you know i didn't mention it before but this piece of like around the assimilation that generationally my family did and like so now growing up i had no connection to be norwegian no one was like we're norwegian or we're protestant like it was never named even though everything yeah, we did yeah. was actually ha- super nordic my dad's a ship captain my aunt's a sheep farmer <laughs>
0: like, pretty nordic
2: i don't know people there are no coincidences that's so
0: lucky it's
2: just like come on um so that's happening and um and then i come back and i'm um, do facilitating a bunch of things but there's two public things one they're both for white women and they're the workshops um, day long called "Power with, not power over," accountability and action for white women. So, folks want to check those out. Okay. Awesome, and that's all on your website. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. and cool. um, you've got the uh, Power Women um, Conference. I've coming got up. the
1: yes, Navahine Okamana, the Power Women Summit coming up on Saturday, May 11th, at the uh, Hollywood uh, Schoolhouse. Uh, find me at co3consulting.net or powerofwomen.rocks.
0: And you can find plowline at facebook.com backslash plowline on Twitter at plowline. We're also on Instagram, though we're not really doing anything with that.